Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm with the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. What I do here is interview guests who have had some kind of history of having a struggle with finding their voice, being able to speak up and express themselves authentically. What I'd like to do is to give them the opportunity to unzip a little bit, reach back into their history and tell stories if there are any, but also step into what the journey was to find their voice. And of course, it seems like most of the guests that I've had here recently finally have found their voice and have spent several years usually promoting their own gift. And that's what we get to do today, meeting Joanna Brandy. Joanna is a certified chief happiness officer and helps companies keep their employees and their customers happy by hardwiring happiness hmm, into the culture. That drives what she calls the positive spillover effect. So it seems like today we're going to be able to listen to Joanna tell a story about how it was more challenging for herself to get to this place where she gets to work with people and companies to create the positive spillover effect. Oh, I'm so excited. Welcome, Joanna. I'm excited too. Yeah. So excited, I guess I forgot to turn the phone off. I thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, I have to. So I'd l- always like to welcome you and say a little something about you and uh, also let people know that you and I have been getting to know each other and some amazing coincidences and uh, the histories that we have around personal growth and development and the commitment we have to just bring our potential out. And so today, I know that from my own story and from most people that I interview that it's not been, we didn't start out this way. We didn't start out this way. We had to grow into it. So let's start with you and stories about earlier on in your life that you think had to do with not having a voice. It was a busy household. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I was raised by uh, both my parents were children of immigrants, both of them 100% Italian. So you're going to get a visual right there. Um, And they were both lawyers. So they worked together in practice, but they never really left work. So they would come home, my mom would cook dinner, dad would read the paper, and then we'd have dinner. And the conversation very often over dinner was not really about the children. I grew up in the age where children were pretty much seen and not heard. And so the conversation usually had to do with their work issues, which was stimulating in many ways, because my 
mind formed, being able to see two sides of an argument. Because what they would do is very often, especially if one of them had to go to court the next day, one of them would uh, would play the prosecutor and the other one would play the defend the defender. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like real life Perry Mason all the time in my house. Um, and they were very passionate people. And so very often we heard the word shut up. And when you hear that a lot, I think it does sort of make you say, should I really speak up here? Or am I going to get yelled at for speaking up? And then I went to Catholic school. Uh, so that was the same kind of thing. You know, you couldn't speak up. Uh, and I am old enough to have gone to school at the time when the nuns would walk around with a ruler and, you know, smack you on the hand or worse, uh, if you spoke out of turn or things like that. So that early training, I think, had a lot to do with being a little bit afraid to speak my voice. Yes, I the ruler example I've heard, but uh, did you actually get the ruler on the back of your hand? Oh yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. And and one time, and people have a hard time believing this. I don't tell the story very often. Uh, my best friend and I apparently were giggling or talking or doing something. That was a mortal offense. And we were small enough that we both got picked up and literally hung up in a closet on a hook by the back of our uniform. We were dangling in this closet with our little feet hanging. <laughs> that is one strange memory, let me tell you. Oh, yes. Uh, there are two ways to look at that because in some movies that would be a comedy, right? Yep, yep. But in others, it's a tragedy, so. Well, actually, we couldn't stop laughing. So <laughs> that made it worse. Yes, that I would. That thing that I had thought about before. Um, Again, you know, my parents were seriously trying to grow a business and they were, you know, trying to pay whatever they had to do, pay off their loans, whatever they had to do. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember that part of the situation, but um, my mom sometimes was very distracted by her children's laughter. So she would, if we were in the back seat of the car and we all started laughing, which we did all the time, I was followed by a set of twins. So we were all 22 months away from each other in age. We were all about the same age. And we would start giggling uncontrollably and she hated it. And she'd scream, stop laughing. And then she would take her hand, she'd go, without taking her eyes off the road, she'd <sighs> lift her arm back and she'd, the first piece of skin, she didn't care as it was, that she got a hold of, she would pinch. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> yeah, so uh, there is a lot of stuff in the background that said, don't speak up. Don't, certainly don't laugh. <laughs> you know, don't, don't appear to be having any pleasure. <laughs> Oh, my. Well, this is so ironic, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't it, that the kind of person that you've turned out to be and what you promote in this world is happiness, and it does yes. come from, I, I love this idea, this image of you having the giggle inside and to have to have covered that, but it was irrepressible, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> It was. And sometimes we just couldn't start. I was with one of my siblings somewhat recently, and we were talking about that. We just couldn't stop laughing. And the, the angrier she got, the more we laughed. <laughs> so, yeah, we, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. But I think the thing that really, because I was, I was pretty verbal. I, I remember um, 
again, growing up in a legal family, we used to, we used to watch Perry Mason together. And I remember from the time being very little, seven years old, maybe, you know, when I thought the lawyer should object, I would fly out of my chair with my arm. Objection. (laughs) (laughs) No problem speaking. And they didn't tell me to be quiet. You know, they just said, well, you're definitely going to be a lawyer, which of course I didn't become, but yeah. So I spoke up to a certain extent. I spoke uh-huh. up to a certain extent, uh, but when I was um, 16, I believe, yeah. um, I was working for my parents as a part-time job, and my mother sent me to court. Now, the case that she had, she had me answer a case, and I said, I can't answer a case. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I can't do that. She said, you can do it. You'll do just fine. I'll tell you what to say, and you just walk up to the bench, and you say these words. So I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And this is one of those benches that you literally see in the movies because the Supreme Court that I walked into was one of the courts that is featured in many, many movies because it's got this big, impressive bench and the judge sits way up on top of the bench. And so I'm there, you know, all five foot, two and a half of me, you know, shaking because now I'm in this space which I don't think, I don't think I can do the job, you know? And, and I walk up and I, I used exactly the words she said. I said, Your Honor, I am answering on, on uh, for Corrado and Corrado. You know, I, I did exactly what she told me to say. And this man lifted himself up, looked down at me and said, young lady, approach the bench. Uh-huh. And that was it. I was, my knees were shaking and it shut me up for a long time. Uh, and he went on to say to me, I know your mother. And because he guess he could tell I look like her, you know, he said, I know your mother. And she is not, I forget what the excuse was I gave him. <laughs> he said, she doesn't need to adjourn. She's off playing golf somewhere. You go and find her and tell her I will call her in contempt of court unless I hear back within a certain number of hours. Oh, my gosh. My, it, was, it was probably one of the worst traumatic experiences in my life. Yeah, so I didn't yeah. know what to do. And of course, there were no cell phones or no quick communications or anything like that. So, yeah, that was that shut me up for a really long time. Well, that is a, almost a metaphor for what you talked about with getting slapped on your hand with a ruler. It feels <laughs> like, you know, yes, slapped by his voice and his presence and I'm I'm glad you shared that because a lot of people think back on their lives and think trauma is something really much more damaging and something like walking up in front of a judge. (laughs) It wouldn't be that, but it's true. There are moments that uh, where somebody does not have the fullness or the capacity to say, Oh, you know, whatever you need to do to feel confident and little tweaks like that big to become, you know, something happened in that moment and it gets lodged. And that's what I think that a lot of people later on in life, especially the people I work with, uncover those moments and say, well, that wasn't that bad. And uh, in the moment, it was that bad. And I think I'm really glad to hear the way you described it. (laughs) It's funny how you can laugh about those things, but it was that bad. It was a, it was a terrifying experience. I didn't want to do it. And that was part of it, is that I didn't have the confidence. If I had walked in there with all the confidence in the world, it might have been different. But I wasn't confident in doing it to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the first time my boss walked into my office and said to me, 
uh, I can't do the speaking engagement I'm supposed to do on Thursday night. I'd like you to take it for me. Mm-hmm. I just outright lied. I looked, I said, oh, Thursday night? Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I have a previous appointment. And I thought it would go away. But she caught on. And she would come back in on a regular basis. And one day she walked, actually, no, one day she called me down to her office and sat me down. And she said, perhaps you don't understand. Speaking in public on behalf of my company is part of your job. Mm. Yes. I thought I would swallow my tongue. And then she said, it's very easy. All you have to do is look out in the audience and pretend they're all Girl Scouts. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's different than looking out at the audience and imagining and pretending them. they're naked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was very glad she didn't use that one. But yeah. I, uh, that's exactly what happened. I, I, I couldn't do it. And I would push myself to do it. And I would, I would get physically, physically sick every time I had to speak. And that extended beyond my corporate career into when I had started my own company, because the only way that I was going to get business if it was if I got out there and spoke. And I just figured that for the rest of my life, I would be in the bathroom for quite a while before getting out onto the platform where there weren't big stages back then. But um, yeah, it was and, and it would start days before. So I would start with the anxiety about speaking days and days and days before. One interesting thing happened. I was on a plane. I think I was going to Hawaii to a conference with a, a former client who was now a friend. And um, uh, somebody had told me to read the book, Creative Visualization. Uh-huh. And I'm reading the book. And the, and the flight attendant comes over and she looks at the books and she looks at me. And she says, that book is going to change your life. And maybe it was the way she said it or the way she looked at me. But that book changed my life. Because what I realized was that I had been visualizing all along. But I visualized tripping, fumbling, doing everything wrong, saying something stupid. I visualized the office, the, the, the audience hating me, you know. So I, when I came back, I was living in New York at the time. And when I came back, I went to a friend of mine who was a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. And I discussed it with her and we created a visualization meditation where I would imagine that before I got there, this beautiful red carpet was rolled out. And with the red carpet, the room began to fill up with love. And that every time I walked into a room to speak, I was walking into a room of people who loved me. It, it took a little while, but it worked. And once it really worked, it's like something in me, well, it's not like, something in me completely shifted. This is a wonderful moment to share with everyone. The breakthrough. It's the breakthrough moment is somebody saying this will change your life. And then the next is that you followed through, read the book. Then you took the next step, which was to actually engage with somebody and develop a visualization. And then you just kept going until it you didn't you stuck with it and i love the idea that uh, there is a vision you had that's what a visualization is and you 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 found your way there isn't it it wasn't like i, I yeah. the goal 
I'm going to be a confident speaker. I'm going to instead. Yeah, instead you visualize the whole sense of what physically, how you would be in that moment, uh, and it. It, you evolved into it. I, it's a different, it's a transformational process that you're describing. And it's wow. from the inside out. That's what I love hearing is that it wasn't three steps or 10 steps, seven steps to get to be confident. It was just wow. you trusting too that this could guide you and lead you towards something more powerful. And I, I think if I hadn't been quite as miserable as I was, because I was really miserable every time I had to go do this. And I knew this was becoming my career and I just didn't want to be miserable. I think it hadn't, I had it just been a tweak. It would have, it would have um, affected me differently, but this was this, I needed a transformation. Mm-hmm. That's what as, I hear. as the years went on, I developed other techniques on my own by reading and things like that. And one night, it was the night before I was going to speak. It was this enormous room, didn't have a state. Well, it might have had a platform, but lots and lots of tables at a conference. And uh, I went in there and there were a couple of men setting things up. And I felt a little awkward because I would bring I would bring, bring a bottle of clearing spray with me. Um, there was like a little, I started doing little rituals. And so they looked at me and I looked at them. And this man was just wonderfully said to me, look, I know your speakers need your time alone in the room. So why don't we go take a break and we'll come back in 10 minutes or so? How's that? He knew exactly that I needed space with the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I communicated with the space and drew a line around the ceiling and, you know, sort of my own little, you know, this space belongs to me and this is a space of love and everything that will happen here will enrich people's lives. That, that intention really helped made the, kept the jitters at bay. Let's put it yes. that way. And it became something I really loved to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, the jitters at bay, I think, is what when you increase the what you're talking about, the positive in mm-hmm. the space, meaning you create being in positive spirit as well as seeing the whole space, the people, the audience as a positive experience. Isn't that something? I mean, it's just, it's so powerful to see and to visualize and to experience the possibility as opposed to the negative outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I was that good at it in every area of my life. It's interesting because I, that is not always a transferable skill. I'm not as good at doing that in other areas, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I had a moment it, uh, somewhat similar to yours when one of the teachers I had earlier on when I was trying to overcome my fear of speaking said uh, the quote about Michelangelo seeing the angel in the marble. And that that was, I would say that was the same kind of moment you had. I just went, oh, she's inside of me. And that's my my precious, beautiful power that I've been holding back. And but it was a journey to bring her out, and that's what you've done. And I'm so happy that you were able to, you know, go from what you experienced early on and told us about some of those moments that were breakthrough for you. I'd love for you to share because I know that now (laughs) what you do, because I've seen you do presentations, uh, I'd like you to share a little bit about what you how you use your voice now. 
Well, I I use my voice to get organizations, get people, get the get the executive, get the people in charge of the organizations to realize <clears throat> that when you create a, a better environment, a more positive environment, I, I I shy away from the word happy sometimes because people have their own idea of what that word means. Um, but when you create positive energy at work, people bring that positive energy home. My work experience wasn't always that glowing. I worked very, very hard and didn't always get the recognition I needed. And that recognition is like fuel. You know, when somebody says, you've done a great job, thank you so much. We couldn't be the great company we are without you. When you get that kind of um, feedback, that positive feedback and encouraging feedback at work, it changes everything in your life. And the opposite is true. Um, because I'm a, I'm a consultant. I speak to get consulting business generally. And I, you know, train on the internet, as you've seen. But um, I've been in hundreds and hundreds of companies and asking the question, what do you like about working here? What don't you like about working here? How, how is it that this culture works? I, I just ask a lot of questions. And I noticed after a number of years that the same phrase kept coming up. Mm. And the phrase was, how come they never notice when I'm doing something right, but when I'm doing something wrong, they're all over me. And that's when I knew that was like somebody put a key in me and turned the key. Mm-hmm. That it was my job to create, help create these internal environments where leaders begin noticing when we do things right. And they begin helping to edge us out of our comfort zones into our strength zones without taking us into the panic zone, which was my work experience, which was the old fashioned way of, oh, she seems like a smart kid, throw her in the pool, let's see if she can swim. <laughs> you know? No support, no encouragement, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and not that, I'm not saying that it was never there, but it wasn't there enough. And that made all the difference in the world. So now I want to help people encourage their employees to have a better experience by giving them all the tools they need and by giving them all the encouragement they need to take care of those customers. Because without the customers, you don't even have a business. Yes. And the, I, I think what I'm hearing also is that you go into businesses and it's just not uh, telling them something and, and promoting what you believe, but it, you have to train them. This is a training to, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> Positive leadership training. <laughs> yeah, it's training because most people we're not trained, but, you know, where do we get trained in leadership? If we don't go to a leadership school, we get trained in leadership by the leaders that we've had. So we either want to emulate someone who did it right, or we want to do the opposite of those who did it wrong. We all come into leadership with lots of ideas about what it's about. Um, I provide a framework for understanding that there are somewhat systematic uh, things that you can do and where you can put your attention and how you can use your voice to help people feel appreciated and valued. And wow, look at the time we're in right now. You know, we, we need this now more than we've ever, ever needed it before because people are really hurting. Mm-hmm. Well, people who might be listening to you, uh, do you work individually or with companies? I work mostly with companies and with teams. 
and with teams. All right. So if anybody's part of a team out there and thinks that their leaders need to get some <laughs> <laughs> some new tools, let's uh, have you have them figure out how to how do they find you, Joanna? What what's uh, well? Name? I'm on LinkedIn. My name is pretty simple, Joanna Brandy, and I'm at returnonhappiness.com. And I do have a little special report up on my website. So if they were to go to returnonhappiness.com slash happy places, they'll get my 12 ways to make your workplace a happy place report. Mm, I love that idea, happiness. So what you said 12, give us just one before you leave. <laughs> well, it's, it's about leadership. It, uh -huh. it, it really is all about leadership. There can be little pockets of happiness here and there, but it, it really is a leadership responsibility to mm -hmm. make sure that people are feeling good. And that usually means a little bit more attention, mm -hmm. you know, actually talking to people. And I'm finding as I'm talking to people now, one of the good things about working remotely at this point is that people are doing more one-on-ones because they're not able to just walk through the place, they're actually doing more one-on-one -on -one interactions. And I think that's a really good thing. Uh -huh. Yes, to listen and engage and be um, connected in a deeper sort of way. Well, what yeah. you said about pay attention reminds me of the Zen story about somebody going to the top of the mountain and meeting the master and saying, tell me the secrets to life and the... Zen master says, pay attention. And the person says, okay, what's number two? Uh, pay attention. <laughs> number three, pay attention. So that, uh, and then the, what you teach, what I'm getting is the quality of the attention that you give yes. and pay to the person. And it's, it's an emotional intelligence skill. It's being able to understand that how people, what matters, whether it's customers or employees, and they're both your customers, um, is how they feel. When I walk away from an interaction with you, how do I feel? And that's that's a key thing. And I think that's the that's been the the challenging thing about what I do because it it feels like it's soft, and it's not soft at all. It has tremendous measurable hard results. Happiness is actually a KPI. You can measure it the same way you measure any other KPI, and it's directly connected to profitability and productivity and well-being, and lower health care costs, and dozens and dozens of other benefits. There you go. I'm glad you got a chance to add all of that. <laughs> and what you said also about any interaction having, oh, that we get to leave with a positive spirit. And I feel like I am having been touched by your energy, your, your smile. For those who are just listening, I have to say that the smile is radiant, and you could probably hear it in Joanna's voice, uh, radiance. So thank you, Joanna, for being here today. And thank you for being, you know, open to listening to the story. Not everybody asks about, you know, how to, every, but a lot of people assume that it all comes natural. Uh -uh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you for your gracefulness and your courage and your determination. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. 
And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.